Welcome to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church. So if you have a, a Bible, we're talking about, I'm going to pick up here again and Lord willing about the unshakable kingdom, but I have a, again, don't, just stay with me. I'm going to go, go back and read the two, two passages that I read last week. It says, now this expression yet once more indicates the removal and final transformation of all those things which can be shaken. That is of that which has been created. You see what he's saying there? Everything that we create, everything that's ever been created by man is shakable. Every, make no mistake, everything you create is shakable. The only things that are unshakable are the things of the kingdom. It says, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So if it's shakable, then it it tells you of what origin it is. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, he makes no mistake about it. He's he's, He's not overstating it. He's just saying the fact is that the kingdom is unshakable. Let us show gratitude and offer to God pleasing service, acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So there's a two-pronged thing, pleasing service, acceptable worship. They go hand in hand. You can't, you, you, this is what we're learning and we're going to learn through this uh, healthy, healthy spirituality is that it's based on a two-pronged balance that there's, there's the inner life. And there's the outer life. There's the inner life that's built around worship, the outer life that's built around service. If you get those out of whack, you're out of whack. In other words, some people, you know, are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Oh, Pastor Mike, I just heard from God and he told me blah, 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 blah. And yet, he's not telling them to get their act together. I could tell you stories, but I can't. Because I, I can't, they all involve us. <laughs> they, I don't want to bust anybody out, but listen, when you're coming to me and saying, you know, God showed me this, but he hasn't showed you what a lousy husband you are. I got problems with that. Because seriously, do you want to follow somebody? If my life was all jacked up, would you seriously follow me as I lead? And you say, well, you know, well, I'm not following you anyway. I'm following Jesus. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying is we're all, we all carry influence. And, and I think the first thing that Jesus begins to talk to us about when it comes to, I, I believe God wants to speak through y'all. I don't, I don't have an issue with the, the reality that God speaks, but I think God has priorities and the, and the priorities begin, first of all, get your life together and then you're a pure vessel through, through whom God can speak. Would you want to take a drink through a dirty, nasty glass? I got, I'm, I got a thing. 
I, listen, I don't even drink after my wife. But, but I surely, that's I, I, so why I, I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to overstate it, but, but, but to serve God with, with worship and service means you got to get the whole enchilada. Here we go talking food again. So, so it, it's, a, it's worship. People, some people can get so heavenly minded, they're no of earthly good. And then some people are so caught up in service, they have forgotten the element of worship. And they got a Martha thing going. They're just serving, 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 but they're frustrated, angry, and ticked off. Why can't I get any help? But you're, because you can be driven. You, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's a two-pronged thing. I want to worship God, and I want to serve him, and I want to do it in balance. Because listen, after, after all the years I've done this, you know, I, I can know what it is to over, overdo especially the service thing. And what happens to me, I don't know, you know, I'm just going to tell you what happens to me. When I get overbalanced and I'm really just serving, serving, and I haven't plugged in and really drawn from the fountain, sat at the table, I get really crispy. Remember that old cereal, Crispy Critters? <laughs> That's me. If I'm not careful, because then I start, you know, snapping at Terry. You know, and she's like, whoa, what's, what's up with you? You have a bad day? You know, and usually I have a good comeback for that. You know, because, why? Because I'm crispy. Why do you get crispy? Because, because I'm not walking this out in balance. That's why it's, that's why it's important y'all come to this health. Because, listen, we're just trying to get healthy. Trying to get healthy spiritually. Because I, I want to promise you something. If you don't get healthy spiritually... At some point, you're going to crash. Pastors do it. Pastors burn out. They hit the wall. They have failures. Why? Because most of the time, they get so, they get so wrapped up in what they do, they forget this isn't about the doing. We're not human doings. We're human beings. And when you do more for Jesus than you spend time with Jesus... You're headed for trouble. That's true for everybody. It's amazing, isn't it, that you can have a job like a pastor and backslide while you're doing your job? Y'all didn't? Oh, come on, Pastor Mike. Yeah, it's, 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 so, it's so very... Listen, the, listen, Peter... Lived with Jesus three and a half years. And then had a complete breakdown when he got shaken. How come? Because he really wasn't listening. Oh, I need to go on. I, I, see, Lord, I didn't plan to say any of that. That's free. <laughs> Number two is not just the unshakable kingdom, but the unchanging person, Jesus Christ is eternally changes, this is from the Amplified, eternally changes, changeless, always. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, so this thing we're in was built on an unshakable kingdom and an unchanging person. Now, we talked about some things last week, but today I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 12. We're, we're back in that same uh, zip code 
of the shaking that we read about in Hebrews chapter 12. Now listen to what this says because this, I found this really interesting and, and with all the things that I'd like to do and I don't know, this could be a subject I stay in the rest of this year. I mean, I don't know, I'm not saying I am. I, I'm, I'm just gonna listen to God as best I can. And, uh, but in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 and 19, this is, this is leading up to the, the verses about the unshakable kingdom. And, um, and he says this, he says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire. Now what's he talking about there? He's talking about Mount Sinai. Remember when Israel was led out of the, uh, Egypt by Moses and, and he was led to Mount Sinai. And there Moses went up into that mountain and this mountain was like on fire. So here's, he's leading, now get this picture, he's leading a very large group of people. Some estimate the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt at 1.3 million people. That's how many slaves and uh, Israelites were in Egypt. And I've heard as many as 3 million and I don't know, it doesn't say, so I don't know, but let's just say it was bigger than your average church. And I know how hard it can be to lead 150 people. And I think, Moses, you are the man. Because you led one plus million. And um, kudos to you. <laughs> And so he's, he's, here's what he says, though. He says, you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire. So you remember when they came to the mountain, God, God kind of, he marked it out and he told them, do not come to this mountain, don't touch it. And he didn't want the people coming into it. And the only, who was the only person invited into this mountain? Moses. And so, you know, Moses went up to the mountain and what did Moses get when he got there? He got the law on a, two tables of, y'all did go to Sunday school, didn't you? Some of y'all look at me like, I never heard this. <laughs> this is, so didn't you ever watch Charlton Heston? Get the movie. What's that movie called? Ten Commandments, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm terrible with titles. And, uh, and so it's a great movie. I mean, it's just a great movie. And, and, and they take on a, man, what they took on in those days without any of the, like, like today, can you imagine a remake of that and all the special effects? Would that be awesome? Because listen, God has special effects. <laughs> I know y'all are, some of y'all, we shouldn't have any of these lights and any of this stuff in church. God did. Yeah, he lit a mountain on fire. And he said, here, watch this. Can you imagine, can you imagine Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit up in heaven, and they're just like going, watch this, boom, boom, and thunderbolts and lightning and all this is going down and fire's booming and, 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 and the people are going, Ha, 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 ha. And, you know, and, 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 and what happened is that the people got afraid and they said, Moses, we, we're going to stay in our tent. They were hiding. 
Now look at what it is. It says, you didn't come to a mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest. I mean, it went from one extreme to another. It got so dark. Darkness was like light to this darkness that, that God was putting on display. And then light would come. And then there was, there was tempest and winds would blow. And, and, and the mountain shook. And I mean, it was like, whew. Are you with me? I mean, I'm just trying to read it like it is. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I remember when I was a young man, some of y'all might remember this, but I was a young man and uh, the movie Earthquake came out. And uh, it was the first time in movies and like in the arts that they had actually brought in to the movie theaters these huge subwoofers, which like this is, this is a subwoofer. And what this does is it carries the lows. You know, up here are the highs. And uh, Alec can make these speakers where the bass will make your, you'll feel it in your chest. And these are little. Now imagine, into the movie theaters, they brought stacks of these subwoofers. Because in the movie, they show an earthquake in a skyscraper. And I mean, I was just a young man. This was, I don't even, you'll have to Google it. I don't know what year this movie was, but I'm, I, here's the problem. You know where I went to see this movie? In Chicago. Because I figured they would have the most up-to-date equipment and everything. And man, when the scene started, you felt like a little earthquake and you could actually in the seat of your pants, you could feel it. And all of a sudden, this earthquake starts rumbling. And man, it's like, it's like it felt like your, your body was shaking and you could sense it. And this is what's happening here. They're actually, they're actually feeling and seeing with their eyes and beholding with their senses the mighty power of God because they're unregenerated. And God was trying to put at least a, a fear of the Lord in them because Moses was going to need all the help he could, not just leading a million plus people, but leading a million plus people who had no understanding, revelation, or experience with God. And here they are on a walk of faith to get to a promised land, and they didn't even know God. It's a bit of a problem. You understand what's going on here? So he says there's this tempest, this darkness, and, and all this, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Can you just, just see what's going on here? And that so those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. In other words, it was like, tell God to be quiet. We can't take this. This is what was going on. We're scared. We, we can't handle this. Do you see why Jesus had to come? Now, follow this. If you go on, I don't have it on the screen. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to read it from my, from my Bible here. It says in verse 20, for they could not endure 
that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it would be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Moses had already had an encounter with God. He, already, he had already been encountered by God, but even Moses said, this is too much for even me. You, you follow me? I, I, I'm trying to get you to see what, what he's doing here, and I'm going to explain to you why in just a second. Now look at what he says. Verse 22, but you're coming to Mount Zion. Now, now, he get, now he's going to explain to you what God was up to. How many of you know it's important that we know what God's up to? And many of us are missing it because we're watching some visible thing while God is doing some invisible thing in a more powerful way than a, sh a shaken mountain or light, a, a light show in the heavens, but he's doing something in Mount Zion. You know what Mount Zion is? Mount Zion represents, it, it represents the New Testament revelation of the church. Now listen to this. He says, but you are come unto Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. See, God didn't call you to a mountain. He called you to a city. That's why I call this place City Point. That's not true. <laughs> Just thought I'd see if I could sell that. I, I did have, I was praying this week, you know, this whole fasting and everything's you know, I, I, I was praying about this, and the Lord, I saw this picture, and, and Pastor Tommy's been doing this, and, you know, they call the young people my city, my city youth. And I saw this church and I, in an open vision, and I saw this church running through this city with a, with a shirt on that said, I love my city. And the city, everywhere we walked through, was being slowly transformed because somebody, instead of saying, what can the city do for me, somebody got the kingdom idea that we're here for the city, and as we serve the city and we love our city, it's going to come back to life. Do you love your city? Hmm. I've heard Portage called a lot of things by even the people that live here. Can't wait to get out of here. Well, then you, you really affect, think you're going to affect transformation while you don't love your city? Jesus loved Jerusalem. He wept over it. It was the Old Testament represent, representation of the kingdom. Jerusalem was the seat of the kingdom of Israel. Are you with me? So my mind's been all like all about this kingdom thing. And he says, he said, let me read this to you because this is really powerful. He says, uh, you have been called to a city, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. See, this city is surrounded by angels. 
Many of us feel like we're in this all alone. I want to tell you something, that God has an angel encamped around about them that fear him. And that the Bible says one angel killed all the armies of Pharaoh. And Jesus said that he had at his call 15 legions of angels. A legion is 6,000. 15 times 6 is 90 times 1,000. You get my. Now, if one angel could take care of Egypt and all of its chariots and all of its. And you're worried about, oh my God, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to the church? God has a, a host, an innumerable host of angels. Someone told me a while back here, they said, you were up here preaching, and there were two angels behind you standing like this, and both were much bigger than you, and they looked like bodyguards. And I said, thank God. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I don't know. I've never seen my angels. So, he says this, to the judge of all, here's, or, wait, wait, back up, to an innumerable company of angels, verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Church of the firstborn. Who's the firstborn? Jesus. And you and I, and we represent those who are born again. The church is the born again children of God. Come on. The church is the blood-bought, blood-washed, born-again children of God. Y'all missed a good chance right there to shout, because that, that's something we're shouting about. But To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, where are your names written? In the Lamb's book of life. <laughs> And to God, the judge of all and the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, everybody say Jesus, Jesus. The mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. Look at this. This is getting really important now. It, see that you refuse not him, for if they spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. Do you see the context of that? Do you know what's, you know what's happening right now? Jesus is looking for his bride. And the way he recognizes his bride is everyone who's connected to Jesus are hearing him. My sheep hear my voice. And the voice of a stranger, they will not. You better be careful who you're following today. You better be careful what you're following today. Because there's many voices, but there's only one voice that shook the earth. That's good preaching right there. I think the church has a hearing problem. I think many in the church 
are not hearing him that speaketh from heaven. And here's the thing. If Jesus isn't being heard by you, you know what he does? Can I tell you, Jesus knows how to get your attention? For we have not come to a mountain. You see, see that you refuse not him that speaketh. He that speaketh from heaven, he that speaketh from heaven, for you have not come to the mountain that can be touched. Here's what I was thinking. You know what? I, I was like, so I was praying about this, and I'm like, Lord, why don't you just like put on a spectacular demonstration? Because he could do that, right? He did it in the Old Testament. He, I said, Lord, why don't you put, like, Lord, wouldn't it be awesome if the ground opened up and a few thousand people just dropped into it? That, that's biblical. God, wouldn't it wake the church up if, if all of a sudden snakes ran through churches and churches had to become snake handling churches? Because one time the snakes ran through Israel. And everyone who was bitten was the mumblers, the grumblers, the complainers. Hello. Y'all, see, y'all, like, I need to think about going to another church if he's thinking like this. Y'all done the same thing. Y'all ever faced your enemy and wish God would just send a, a meteor from heaven and bam! You, you have to... And, and I'm like, Lord, people would like wake up and they'd say, man, I'm going to quit horsing around. God, wouldn't it be awesome if you just sent some spectacular demonstration and just like, and God spoke to me and said, Mike, I already have. And you see, what Jesus was was that spectacular demonstration. And isn't it amazing that when Jesus was born, the heavens declared it, but they weren't on fire. There wasn't like an Old Testament Sinai kind of manifestation. And the fact of it was only a handful of people actually saw it. You with me? And then the kingdom was like a seed and it was planted. And then the seed quietly and, and powerfully permeated through the, the world as the world began to encounter, have encounters with Jesus, the living Christ. Because the kingdom of God is not about smoke and it's not about fire and it's not about, it's not about all these spectacular demonstrations on the outside, but the kingdom of God is in the power of a transformed life. And I know what the church keeps looking for is like, God, would you just show up and show all these people what they need to see? God did show up and he has shown us and his name is Jesus. And the church is here to, to take Jesus to this world. 
And, we, and, here, here, and here's the posture of the church. We're gathered in the corner going, oh, Jesus, come back, come back, come back, come back. And Jesus is in there saying, hey, church, go out, go out, go out. And everywhere the church is obedient in that area, what you're seeing is the power of God showing up and changing lives. Can you say amen? amen. That's what this is about. And so I'll tell you, don't look for... Don't look for a sign. Isn't that what Jesus said? Because the sign's already been given. What is the sign of the kingdom? He said, you, it's a sign of Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah? Jonah went, into the, Jonah, Jonah, Jonah went into the belly of the whale for three days. And when he came out, that was the sign. And G, what was Jesus saying? I'm going to go into the belly of the earth and for three days. I'm coming back on the third day. And that's the sign that you need to look for. And that's the show, to show you that my kingdom has come. And now fall in with me and watch the kingdom that's in you begin to expand. And as the kingdom expands in you, the kingdom of God will be expressed through you. And eventually, when, when, when the, kingdoms of God, uh, the kingdom of God is expressed in us, as it's expressed, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So, oops, turn it this way. So, kingdom authority. Jesus was confronted at the end of his, of the end of his life you know, he was confronted by um, Pilate. And, you know, Pilate was uh, questioning Jesus. It's really appropriate, too, in this time, and we're coming into all of this. And, and, and Pilate asked him, he, he says, are you a king? Because that's what the Jews, the Jews had to trump up something, you know. And, and so they said, well, he says he's God. He says he's a king. And Pilate asked him, he says, are you a king? And are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of, of Israel? And, and of course, he was the king of the earth. He's the king of everything and king of all, Lord of all. And here's what Jesus answered in John 18, 36. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. In other words, the, they were looking at the political ramifications of Israel, and while Israel was looking for a deliverer, they weren't looking for salvation, they were looking for somebody to lift the, 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 the rule of Rome off their neck. And so Jesus says, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. But Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Now, let me tell you something, Jesus' servants fight, but they don't fight an earthly battle. We're fighting, but we're not fighting for political control or fighting just for socioeconomic control. But, when, but isn't it interesting? As the kingdom of God expands, all those things can fall under the influence of the kingdom of God. And that's why the Bible says, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. So listen to what he says. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Remember when they arrested Jesus? Remember when Peter cut off the dude's ear? That's a rough bunch of d disciples right there. I mean, Peter, what's he thinking? Well, he's Peter. He really wasn't thinking. But, 
but he cuts off the ear and Jesus immediately heals it because his, he didn't want his servants fighting in this particular way at this particular time against these particular people. But he said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. His kingdom is from a whole different realm for a whole different reason than what they had supposed for a whole different purpose. And here's my question to us that I really want to spend a minute on, and then I'm going to wrap this up, is the question is, are we fighting the right war? Are we fighting the right war? Have you ever fought battles that you realize afterwards it was not really worth fighting? Come on, how many of you have older kids and you've fought battles with your kids and you realize, man, I should have saved that fight for something else because, man, that was a lot of energy and there was a lot of casualty. And, you know, I tell people, listen, I tell people when it comes, and I, I, I tell people, I tell husbands and wives, I tell parents with their children, you better pick the right hill to die on. Because many times, many of us are fighting the wrong battle, and many of us are casualties of a battle that, that Jesus isn't even, he's not even remotely interested in. And so we fight these battles, we fight these battles. I, I think it's understanding the depth, does Jesus want me to fight for my children? Yes. But many of us are just fighting so we, our kids don't irritate us. Not so Jesus gets full control of their lives. Wow, that went over like a rat sandwich. <laughs> well, I just want my kid to be obedient. Why? So they don't irritate you? Or do you want your, do you, you know, and some kids... Because of their nature and the leadership that's in them, they test things and they'll test you. But you have to be careful you don't squash their spirit. Man, the Bible says a wounded man is like a, a city without walls. And see, you can wound your children to the point that you strip the protection and the, and the authority around them and then wonder, why, what has gone wrong with my kid? And you see, it could be that you're fighting the wrong battle. Because the question is, where is the kingdom of God lay into their life? Are you with me? Where is the kingdom of God laying into their life? I just don't want my kid to, to get in trouble. You know, I, that's kind of a low bar, isn't it? I kind of want my kids... I want my kids to be a threat to the devil. And if that means that my kid stands up for Jesus in a classroom and gets in trouble for it, I'll stand with them. The church has become so passive and so quiet today because we don't want to stir anything up, but yet we're willing to let the enemy run roughshod and he makes his stand bold. He doesn't, put, he doesn't hide in a closet. Let me tell you, the devil has come out and the church has went in.
And the question is, is the kingdom of God being expressed? And when it comes to my children, is, 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 am I really leaning into what God has for my children? Because while many of us are just hoping we can get our kids grown and out of the house, what we need to be concerned about is getting our kids spiritually mature and equipped with the weapons of the warfare that they're going to need to overcome in this life because there's only two things going to happen. We're either going to be overcomers or be overcome. And the church has got to wake up and realize that when it comes to the kingdom of God, the devil is doing everything he can to silence us, to put us off in a corner, to hide us away. And the church needs to stand up and say, it's time for Jesus and his kingdom to be expressed in my family, in my marriage, in my city. I'm not going to sit back and let the devil take my city, take my schools, take my government, take my nation take my stuff devil you gotta fight on your hands now because I am fighting for a kingdom from another world I'm fighting with weapons that are not common for a purpose that is not normal so I can walk in a supernatural authority and power and see Jesus exalted and his kingdom go forth You see, this brings me to Josiah. You see, Israel never got this lesson. Now follow me. I read that about Mount Sinai because Israel had many manifestations. Israel saw God move in many outward ways. Israel saw fire, smoke, and all kinds of external things. And yet they were the most hard-headed, hard-hearted people that ever walked the earth. Stubborn, rebellious. And from the Saul days, Israel picks a king. That was never God's, first of all, let me tell you something. It was never God's will that they have an earthly king. Hello? Read it. God was to be their king. And he was to rule the kingdom as they submitted to the theocracy. You know what theocracy is? Theocracy is the, uh, a theological term that represents the government of God. That's a type of government. You know, we have a democracy. You know, democracy is the rule by the people. Cracy, uh, the rule, demo, by the people. A theocracy, get this, crossy, rule, theo, who's theo? God. A theocracy is when God rules. I had a guy tell me one time in a church I was pastored, he said, I'm all about theocracy as long as I get to be Theo. Well, I think, face it, look at where the church is today. We're, we're at we're where we're at because there's too many Theos and not little T Theos and not a big T Theo. And so here, let me get back to Josiah. I got to quit. So I want you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 13, I think it is. 
I'm going to read these and then I'll quit. This is like, I never can finish. I never have finished a message in my life. <laughs> I guess there's no time to expect it now. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 1. I want you to write these down. Can I, would you please, would everybody read this sometime today? In the year, in the three and twentieth year of Joash. Wait, that's not what I want. Somebody help me. I want Josiah. There's so so many kings here. Hold it, I'll get it to you. And again, this came, this came to me Second Kings 22. That's where we're going. Second Kings 22. Sorry. I have this written down in some notes, but I don't know what the point of making notes is either. Second Kings chapter 22, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem. So here's the thing. I, I, I did a quick uh, cursory count. Josiah was like the 14th king down from David. So you have like Saul, David, which are two very important rules in Israel. When David died, who took over? Solomon. Then when Solomon died, he had two sons, one named Jeroboam, one named Rehoboam. Both were evil. They split the kingdom. There was a, there was a church split. And the northern tribes, you know, were Israel, and the southern tribes was what made up of Judah. So then the northern tribes had their succession of kings, and eventually they were marched on by the Assyrians and totally obliterated. As a, as a people, as a nation. And then the, the southern tribes were gathered together. And then we know th through Scripture what happened with Judah and how uh, foreign nations came in. The Rome, Rome comes along. Now, we're talking about a, 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 over a thousand years here from, from uh, you know, from Saul, David, Solomon, Jeroboam, Rebom, down to when when uh, Jesus shows up, Rome is the ruling nation, and by 70 AD, Rome had completely destroyed Jerusalem, tore the temple down. Remember when Jesus said, there's some of you standing here, you're going you're gonna to see not one stone is going to be left, and they've worshiped that temple, right? And Jesus said, not one stone is going to be left here. He was prophesying, and about 40 years later... The Rome tore that temple and everything in Jerusalem up and dispersed the Jews. They went on another dispersion. The Jews have been like, this has been their life. And, you, and do you notice they're key in the, in the whole scope and plan of God? Do you notice in America, one of the big controversies now is all this anti-Semitism? 
Do you know why there's an anti-Semitism? Because the devil knows Israel plays a key part with the church in these last days. I can't get into all that, but, but, but this is why, and you're thinking, I don't know what's wrong with you. What's wrong? What's, who, you know, so what? It's just Israel. You better care. You better care. You better care. And so anyway, Joash, it says, was eight years old when he began to reign. We're in 2 Kings 22.1, or Josiah. And he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedediah, blah, blah, blah. Can't even pronounce half these names. Now look at verse 2. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. We were praying Tuesday on, on our Facebook live prayer meeting, and then went into Thursday, and we had on this altar, we had names of children. <laughs> we had... All these children from infants all the way to young children or, you know, grown children. I, I don't know who, I don't even know. We were praying and this thing keeps rubbing, rub, running in my spirit that this is the time. This is the Josiah generation. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign in Israel. And he did that which was right and he turned not to the left nor to the right. It's amazing. Now, listen, let's go on. Let me read a couple more because I can't really, I don't have time to delve into it. It came to pass, verse 3, in the 18th year of King Josiah. So now he's, he's just still a young man. Hello? He's still a young man. That the king sent Shapham, the son of Uzziah, to the house of the Lord. He sent this guy to the house. Josiah sent him to the house. Why? Because the house was in disrepair. It was, it was in ruins. It was torn down. It was neglected. All of his fathers and preceding kings had replaced and supplanted the worship of God with the worship of idols and built high places and they burned incense to other gods. They even offered sacrifices to, to foreign gods on the altar. He sends him. You read it later today. You read. He sends his Shushan and whatever. He sends him and, and, and they begin to repair and, they, and, and, and part of the orders are you tear down everything that's all the idols. You tear down every idol. You tear down every high place. We're not offering any more incense. And all those priests that were uh, Baal worshipers and offering worship uh, of their God, I want those priests slain. And you know what they did? They burned those priests' bones on those altars. And it says they burned them until the altars were, were filled with ashes. And then you know what he did? Then he tore the altars down. Kind of different than Saul, wasn't he? Josiah's just a kid. And he's going after God, tearing things down, renewing, rebuilding, restoring, resetting the thing. And while in this process, they find one of the, the, the books of God, uh, you know, the Torah, because it had been dis it disappeared. But one of the priests had hid it in one of the walls. And when they discovered it, he began, they, he brought it to him and they began to read. And when he heard the word, he wept and he fasted and he sought the Lord and he repented. And he said, God, we haven't been doing what's written in this book. We haven't been doing it like you said to do it. And, and a revival was taking the land. 
Can I tell you that revival is here? And it's going to be led by a bunch of kids. And you better cut bait or get out of the way. And you say, wow, that's, that's amazing. Let me show you what's really amazing. Can I, do you, you want to see what's really amazing? Go to, go to 1 Kings 13. This is where I got 13 from. 1 Kings 13. This is back in the days of Jeroboam. So get me, get this. I counted, and this is at least 13 or 14 kings after Jeroboam. Or before, or before Josiah. Jeroboam and Rehoboam were 14 kings before Josiah. I'm, I'm in a hurry, and I shouldn't be, because... Because one day we're going to stand before God and we're not going to have anywhere to go. We're just going to be there and God's going to say, hey, what'd you do with my word? What'd you do with my kingdom? What'd you do with my king? So in the beginning, when Jeroboam comes in, look at 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Now, Jeroboam, that sounds pretty holy, right? But Jeroboam was burning incense to a, to a false idol. He's just, he's just two generations from David who worshiped God, built and restored the worship of God into the house, like what Pastor Julie was reading about the restoration of the tabernacle worship. Solomon comes along. Solomon lets marry some heathen wives and a little bit of this, listen to me, a little bit of heathen worship slipped in because Solomon compromised in some little things. Next thing you know, Jeroboam is offering incense on an altar to another god. Um, God sends a man of God. Now you should read this too later because this is really good. Verse 2, and he cried against the altar. He cried against the altar. He cried against the altar. Why would he cry against the altar? Because on this altar was coming false worship, a, bad, a false sacrifice. He cried against the altar, the word of the Lord, and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David. He's not going to come after this lineage. He's going to come after the heart of David. Josiah by name. You should underline it. You know when this was written? 300 years before Josiah would walk onto the scene. He was a child of destiny. He was a child of purpose. Can I tell you there are some of you sitting here today, you're wondering, what am I here for? Why am I here? I want you to know that a long time ago, God called you out, and he called your purpose out, and he puts, and our, and I'm standing here today in behalf of our children, and I'm prophesying the word of the Lord unto you to tell you that God is raising up a Josiah generation. My generation had the baton. We ran with it, and maybe... 
did so, so, so not. I don't know. That's for God to decide. But I know this. I'm not going to finish this. I'm going to pass this on. I know in my heart of hearts that God has called me to call this out in this generation like this man of God was called to tell Jeroboam. God is going to raise up a child by name, and he called him Josiah, and he is going to offer the bones of priests on this altar, and every word he spoke came to pass because a man of God stood up with a vision of God and said, this is the work of God and will fulfill the kingdom of God, and this will see this wrap up in the ultimate purpose of God, and I'm telling you, church, it's time to get ready. It's time for you men to take your place at the altar and cry aloud and spare not till we see our children raised up in the house of God. And if you compromise, you're opening the door to your children's future defeat. And I sought for a man among them that he might stand in the gap. I realize I'm not going to stand on any national platforms. I'm not going to stand in international conferences. I'm not going to stand in the mega churches of our nation. But I do have a place to stand in heaven. And I have a prophecy for you that God has put in my mouth to call this generation of Josiahs out and to lead them by the hand and tell them, God is for you and God is with you. And even though you're a child, trust God because he is raising you up to bring a transformation to our nation, a transformation to our churches, and a transformation to our families. Many of you fathers are spiritually dead and twice plucked up. You do not even know what's, you do not even see what's going on in the kingdom of God. Jesus looked at those who were to be the inheritors of the kingdom of God. Listen to me, I'm going to close. Good Lord, I sound like David Wilkerson. God rest his soul. Jesus looked at the leaders who were supposed to be leading the way and leading the charge of the kingdom of God. Here's what he said. He said, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to another who will bear the fruits of it. I don't care how long you've been saved, how long you've had a license in your pocket, or who you've preached for and how you got there. My question to you is the kingdom of God alive in you today. And if it is, are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Because if you are, then your children are going to be added unto you. And it's time for the church to shake off this lethargy and this blindness and this, this being okay with our children wandering off. I'm going to tell you, those are the most dangerous journeys that a person will ever take is to leave the father's house.
I need you to bow your heads with me right here, right now. I didn't really expect that y'all be shouting and bouncing off the walls. I didn't. I didn't expect that. I'm going to. Win a lot of friends by preaching like this. See, I've been doing this for 40 years. I've been preaching for 40 years. Do you hear me? I will be 63 years old in a few days. I've been preaching for 40 years. I've been preaching for 40 years. And I feel like God has raised up and burned something inside of me like a fire. That while everything in me says it's time for you to go, I'm like, oh, I don't have trouble with the going. It's what I'm leaving behind. And so I'm calling all the Josiahs. I'm calling on Josiah's. You may be an eight-year-old Josiah. You may be a 16-year-old Josiah. You might be a 30-year-old Josiah. But your heart is to do what's right in the sight of the Lord and turn not to the left or to the right. And if that's you, I'm calling you and prophesying to you that your, your ministry, your gifting, your calling is in front of you. And God wants you to lay hold of him and lay hold of it, and you will see the glory of God in your life. And I want to say something to you fathers here today. If you ever needed to fall on your face and find your place on the wall for your children, it's right now. It's right now. It's right now. If you ever needed to repent for you, your lukewarmness, your compromises, it's right now. If you ever needed to deal with your own heart and the, and, 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 the, and the tensions that are going on because, yes, you do want God, but you've let go of God to pursue other things, and God is saying it's time for you to quit telling your kids this is how you should do it. It's time for you to do it. For the kingdom of God is coming to you. Not with lights, not with smoke, not with thunder, not with lightning, but with a still small voice that's going to shake you down to the very core of who you are. I'm speaking to you moms, too, speaking to our church. It's time for us to take our place before the altar in the house of our God. Cry aloud and spare not. Father, I ask now 
not for some outward dem demonstration, but inwardly you would rock hearts right here, right, right now. You would completely rock us down to our core. That God, something would tw break loose on the inside of us and realize it is time to seek the Lord. It's time to seek the Lord. It's time to seek the Lord. It's time, it's time, it's time, it's time. Don't say there's four months and then comes a harvest. I say, lift up your eyes, look into the fields, for they are white and already the harvest. This harvest is right in front of us, it's right before us, it's right in our own houses, it's right in our own church is right in our own city. Father, I pray for Holy Spirit revelation that would completely open eyes and set captive hearts free. Shake us. Shake us in the mighty name of Jesus. Would you all stand? I'm done. I'm going to dismiss you. But here's what I'm going to say. If you'd like some time to, if you'd like some time to get, just get with the Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to open this altar. I'm not calling for people to pray for you. Uh, there's a time for that. There's a place for that. But there's some of you just need to, you just need to enter in and shut the door into your own heart and you need to have a conversation with God and you need to hear what the Lord's saying to you as well. You need to just let the Lord speak to you. So God bless you. We'll see you back here tonight at 6 o'clock. If you're, if you're going to come forward, come forward. And if you're going to uh, visit and leave, head to the back. Let's reverence this altar area. I just feel like we just need to, I just, I just want to give you that opportunity. Every, every major move of God, every major revival, everything began when people just simply started seeking after God. I can't orchestrate that. I can't make that happen. That has to come between hearts when hearts get arrested by the Holy Spirit. So I just invite you to come. There's no pressure. If you, if you don't, if you have to go, God bless you. I thank you for coming today. Thank you for hearing the heart of an old man who's crying out for a Josiah generation, who's pr praying that, it, that all these years, that I won't take this to the grave with me, that I will leave it in the hands of a young generation. Father, I just pray today, as we go from this place, God, that people will understand what's, what you're doing in the kingdom of God right here, right now. I pray, God, you'll bless people. I pray you'll touch people. I pray, God, that you'll heal people from their hurts and their backslidings and their compromises and their little areas, God, where we need to shore up, God, where we need to get... We need to get honest. We need to get right, God. Just as it's just time for us to get right with you. That's all. It's time to get right. It's time to get right. Thank you for listening to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church.